You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. So Jason, March 9th, 2022. Yeah, the, the market, the sky is falling. I, I should preface this by saying like there are terrible things happening in the world today and part part of having this conversation feels a little bit privileged this is a very difficult time for many people in the world so yeah uh uh, we have this conversation uh, acknowledging that i I just want to put that out there because we're going to complain here about some things and it that really is coming from a place of extreme privilege so uh, absolutely just setting the table with that um you know i think you and i have both been texting each other paying attention to the market, me probably paying attention to the market more so than you, but things are feeling pretty tenuous right now. Um, there's like every time I go on Reddit now, you know, in any of the fire communities, people are freaking out for various reasons. What, you know, what, what have you seen? Yeah, I've seen much the same. And to be honest with you, uh, I've, I've kind of cut some of it out of my, uh, my view, just yeah. because I think it doesn't help. I mean, I'm, I'm already somebody, as you know, that doesn't follow the financial media. I don't watch any TV news. I read everything that I consume. But, you know, even on the FIRE Discord uh, that I spend time on, as I've talked about before, there's a couple of channels where it's often discussed, you know, oh, the market's down. I'm very concerned. But, you know, you know, reasonable things to say. But on the other hand, it's like, oh, that doesn't help anything. And I'm not going to do anything different. But nonetheless, it's a backdrop to a lot of conversations that are happening right now. And to your point, there are a number of things happening globally that are at least partially underpinning this volatility in the yeah. market. And it could always be a variety of things that you know result in sell-offs and other instability in the market. So yeah, it's certainly on my mind and you know a good topic for us to talk about because yeah. I suspect we're not the only ones thinking about it. No, I was going to say, I listen to a lot of fire podcasts and financial related podcasts. And this is like one of the number one topics that everyone's talking about right now. And I thought it might be good to kind of set this in context a little bit. Um, We are currently at least in a market correction, right? Right. And a correction is defined as anywhere between 10 and 20% off of market peaks. So if we look at the S&P, what, what I think I wrote down, um, S&P today is up to 4290, which is about 11% off of its peak. Right. And the NASDAQ, um, that's about 18% off the peak. So, and actually, if you looked at it, you know, say the, the Dow has swung wildly today, the S&P is up, the NASDAQ is up. So these numbers are it's a very volatile time, right? Um, so like if you looked at it yesterday, NASDAQ was actually in, you know, um, bear market territory, which is anything greater than 20%. And, and I don't know that there's an official definition for a bear market that includes time. You know, a correction is usually considered to be sort of a short-term event, right? Right. The market corrects for certain overvaluation, you know, higher valuations than normal. And, um, but then it kind of, sets itself back on an upward trajectory. A bear market is a sustained, you know, 20% off of peak. And I don't know actually how long you would expect it to be sustained. But that, just to kind of set this in context, there, there's actually some reasons for us feeling nervous, right? Totally. And, you know, on the same point, you and I are both sitting here knowing 
that it's say eight out of 10 years, the stock market's up. So right. guess what it's doing the other two out of 10. So volatility and you know changes in market dynamics are normal, but it's also different when you're, you know, depending on your viewpoint, right? If you're super early in your path, well, it sounds like a great buying opportunity. If you're a couple years away from, you know, financial independence like you, or a couple years over the line like me, there's different ramifications for <laughs> yeah. downturns than there yeah. have been before. Well, I was going to say, I, the, the real value that I think we bring to this conversation is looking at it from both sides of FI. Right. And I am graded more toward, you know, your end of FI than maybe some of our younger listeners. You know, we're in our late 40s and you've obviously reached financial independence already. And so my, my concerns aren't quite the same as someone who's early in the FI journey, but I actually think maybe the perspective that we can bring to this conversation uh, um, is one adopted from someone earlier in their FIRE journey. So I'll be curious to talk about that with you. I'm anxious to, to kind of get that stuff off off my chest because part of this for me is just just being able to have someone to talk it through yeah. with it's really helpful <laughs> The kind of bottling it up and just like grinding my teeth at night and looking at all the wrong metrics and like that stuff. Somehow I can't help myself from doing that, but being able to talk it through, especially with you, was, you know, like one of the things you tell me all the time is don't look at the numbers, man. Don't look at the numbers. <laughs> That's right. How, like, how do you not look at the numbers, especially being post fi uh, well, a, a couple of comments and, and one I've said to you before, and this time I'm going to make sure I cite it correctly. So I, I try to don't say remind it. myself <laughs> if you had a good plan before things went south, you still have a good plan once they do. And I'm nearly certain that that was Mr. Bo Hansen from the money guy show. Yes. Uh, it's certainly from there and he has said it numerous times. So that's clearly where I got it from. So I try to remind myself of that. And the second, perhaps the more boring answer is I just don't look at the numbers. If I am not transacting, right? I don't have a reason to be in my brokerage account. I don't look at the numbers. Sure. I may hear them. I, you know, catch a, catch a news blurb or, you know, see it in the headlines, but I'm not somebody who's in my account seeing like, well, Am I down 2% today or what? Uh, there's just not a need. I, I recently did my HSA uh, buying and my health savings account. And so I saw the absolute percentage <laughs> my portfolio was down. And I just said, okay, buying opportunity and, and got my fund and got out. But I mean, are, well, are that, you, I mean, you've discussed before being in there every day. Are you still in there every day during this time? I mean, I'm in there a couple of times a week because I'm okay. making, making, buys you know i'm yeah. not i'm not fiddling with the dials like okay i, I kind of fiddled with the dials last november and and i know some of these episodes that we've released recently where i rebalanced my portfolio and everything like they've just been released but i actually did that like end of last year because right. that's when we were recording all that you know content and that's when i was doing it um so i'm definitely not gonna fiddle with the dials and i think that's maybe one of the important things here is that you know to your point have a plan, stick with the plan because the, the way you can really hurt yourself is to make course corrections in a down market, which is where we're at right now. So like, I have the resolve here. I have the emotional fortitude to stick with this. And it, yeah. it's one of the interesting kind of thought experiments that I've been doing. Like it is one thing to say, 
I, I have high risk tolerance, right? Or yes. and even, you know, I can suggest that I have a high risk capacity, you know, if I'm willing to extend my timeline. It's one thing to say that in the vacuum of a bull market, which we had for the past 10 years, right? Yeah. And, and, and we've all experienced this, like that, that upward tick of the stock market and you see your portfolio growing, you get used to that and you're excited. I was excited to talk about my portfolio with you because man, it looked pretty rosy. It's sure. quite another thing to say, you know, actually when the world is starting to implode, and there's a pandemic still raging and there's World War Three happening and all of these supply chain issues are a problem and gas is through the roof and my yeah. grocery bill is insane. It's another thing to be faced with that reality and say, what do I do here? Like it, it does take a different set of skills to not sell in that kind of an environment. And I'm curious from your perspective, because you seem like from the outside, you seem like calm, cool and collected, but you text me about money a lot, man. So you're telling me you're not talking, thinking about it, but I think yeah. you are. Well, um, to be sure, I also, you know, I get bored and uh, you're somebody I enjoy texting with. So there you go. Money is a topic we discuss on at least a weekly basis. So maybe it's that I, I will True. say in all honesty, I have never you know, in, in watching what's happening in the world and in the market, I've never thought, well, maybe I should just sell because I'm really nervous. That thought is the farthest thing from my mind. You know, will I question, uh, should I have been more conservative? Is 70-30 good? Should I have been 60-40 or 50-50, more like a traditional retiree? I mean, those thoughts enter my mind, but, you know, how many times do I need to do that same math, right, and say, no. I don't want to be 50-50 for these reasons, and I've done the, the modeling. I'm good. Um, so I think I raise questions about asset allocation and things like that, but I never have the reaction like I saw during the very brief but very steep you know, coronavirus downturn way back you know, basically two years ago from now. I was talking to a friend, and he told me without prompting – you know, this is just too, too insane. I've just sold everything and gone to cash. Oh, my God. I and mean, I said, wait, aren't you talking about being like a few years from retiring early? And he's like, yeah. There's like, a lot well, of people who do that, man. A lot and of his people. Mountain, I mean, the, the guy has done well for himself. He's a, you know, a professional, a good career. But his mountain is not so large that if he goes to cash now with inflation considered, it's going to last the rest of his lifetime. He will, and I'm sure has, I hope, gone back into the market. But how much did you miss in terms of all those gains that we had? I get that. Um, but you're, you're basically telling me it doesn't take much emotional fortitude at all to, to not sell in a down no, market. And I'm, I'm, argu I'm arguing with that, but saying if you got a family to feed and you're watching your net worth disappear by okay. like 50%. Here's the example that I started thinking about. A lot of the, and, and this could just be some of the communities that I'm swinging in in the fire movement. Um, but you know, a lot of people are paid in stock, right? Yes, a lot of their compensation is stock. And when that yeah. stock changes in value significantly, what do you do? Yeah. Well, let me, let me read. It's not just answer. an index fund like question here, That's fair. right? Because That's fair. we're sticking with the indexes for a very specific reason, right? If the, the index is never going to go to zero, like yeah. that's the reason you buy the index, but a single stock, if it's where you're working and it's like, I don't know, half your compensation. I don't know what these, I've never received stock as compensation, but yeah. let's say it's 50% of your compensation. Like yeah. you, 
there's a certain point where you got to cut bait, right? Well, and I think you've also made the argument for if you are somebody who receives a decent percentage of your compensation as stock, as it vests, selling that and putting it into your portfolio so that you're not sitting in a concentrated position. Because yeah. I'll tell you, having worked in Silicon Valley, I definitely knew people at Fang companies who, as they were issued stock, they just held it. They didn't sell it. They didn't deploy it into their portfolio. So you ended up in these mammoth positions in single stocks where they worked, and that just adds tremendous risk. And so for me, the way I prevented you know, concern like that is I would just churn my stock and put it into my portfolio, selling it every time. Because I, to your point, I can't imagine suddenly having that concern with having a huge percentage of my net worth being tied up and then watching it go down. Yeah. It's funny. I, I'm reading this book um, called The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Have you ever read that book? No, I haven't. Oh, it's really, really good. I, I okay. actually really like it. Um, and one of the things he talks about there is these, you know, it's kind of um, coming up with rethinks on some of the common advice you hear given about money and, and this idea about like not maintaining a cash position. Like you'd be crazy to maintain a cash position and especially in an inflationary environment, right? Right. And one of the arguments that he brings up is if you're the kind of person who gets into this situation where the market is down, and you have a propensity to maybe sell and you get nervous quick, having a substantial cash position, if that prevents you from selling, it could be the best financial move you ever make to maintain yeah. that. And I, I just think it's in interesting to look at this through the, the lens of, you know, personal, your own personal risk assessment. Like it's, yes. it is one thing to evaluate risk when things are looking rosy and it's quite a different thing to look at it right now. And I feel like right now is a pretty tenuous position. It sounds like you're pretty content where you're at, but I'm feeling yeah. nervous. I mean, I'm, oh, I'm seeing prices go up. I'm like, sure. I, I, I'll tell you that, um, I'll share with you. I, we run, um, vacation, winter vacation with our family. So we, yeah. we go away to the tropics every year, one week, you know, kind of splurge on a really nice vacation. And that week, um, was the worst sales week for my business in my passive income in my business that I've had in years. Yeah. And I'm someone who watches it even on vacation. I'm like, okay, am I meet? I'm making my daily target here. And it didn't happen and it didn't happen. And it didn't have like four days in a row. And I thought, man, something has changed here. And it really, yeah. it really messed with my head. I have to say it, it made me think, is this broken? Can I carry this forward? What am I going to have to do? Like, what contingencies do I need to rely on? And one of the things that that kind of helped me get out of the funk was, number one, to appreciate that I have a series of diversified assets that are working for me. It's not just totally. one, one thing. Like, I track one metric, but it's a whole series of different things that are feeding money into the business and providing passive income. And this speaks to the kind of the broader issue of diversification in a portfolio, you know? Yeah. Stocks and bonds. I didn't have any options <laughs> prior to last November. You know, I just had 100% stock. And that, you did. that downturn with 100% stocks looks a lot different than what I have now. So yeah. there was some comfort in that diversification, not only from a business standpoint, but from, you know, my portfolio Your standpoint, portfolio. The, whole, the whole kind of phi number. The sure. other thing that I did was just, and maybe this will help other people who are in a similar situation is just kind of understand that there are certain things I cannot control. 100%. <laughs> 
I mean, the stock market is chief among them, right? I can't control world events. I can't control who is going to buy my products or, or not going to buy my products. And I had this one week that we had saved up all year to go on, you know, and I was letting my thoughts of the moment dominate my whole entire demeanor and mood right. in that time that I had treated as so precious, you know, that I had, this was like a sacred space for me and my yeah. family. And I chose in that moment to set it aside and really live in the moment and just appreciate my family for, you know, what we were doing and who they were. Um, you know, this is like the last official vacation, I think with my son who's going off to college. And I was like, I was getting like really verklempt thinking about sure. these like, God, I'm not going to have this next year. And that really did help me refocus. Like I am okay. I, my, you know, hospital down the road is not being bombed. My family is not in danger. You know, all of these things within my control, I can choose to be happy in this moment and content that what I have is enough. And I think it was a good thing for me to kind of break that cycle, that emotional cycle of like more, more, more. It's got to be more. I got to make this number. I got to, you know, and, and it really did in a Zen kind of way, kind of refocus me on like just breathing like this. Yeah. That's enough. Well, there's geez, there's so much to comment on there. You just went on a tear and, Sorry. and I know, no, I let you go because you were saying some really important things that I didn't want to interrupt. Uh, I mean, from the last point, you know, just your natural entrepreneurial spirit was at conflict with your need to and your desire to relax with your family. I think that's something a yeah. lot of people struggle with. And it's it's pretty great that you had the presence of mind to recognize that and back out um, <laughs> and enjoy. Because uh, from what we've discussed, you had a really great trip. And, you know, the last thing you'd want to do is distract from that. Um, but you also make an excellent point about diversification, you know, whether it's across your business, which is very diverse, right? You know, you've got yeah. different sources there feeding in. If one's not doing well, others can can help maintain, but also our portfolios. And I, I just found myself thinking, like, if this isn't the biggest advertisement for sort of a boglehead way thinking of thinking of the world, like, I don't know what is because it's about, you know, setting up a broad strategy, not fiddling with it and being in for the long term. You know, yeah. these things are going to take care of themselves. Don't sort of overmanage it. And that's <clears throat> how I think about my own situation. I mean, when you think about it, and I think this is, you know, something you and I have discussed in different ways before, there's two major levers you have um, to work with uh, as you think about building up your portfolio, whether you're retiring earlier or retiring on a more traditional time frame, and that's your rate of savings, and, and that's something you've really maximized. I know that. We've discussed it. And the second is your asset allocation. And if you do make smart decisions with those, they're going to take care of you. There's going to be bumps. There's always going to be these downturns. There's going to be great years. But on net, since you have long-term goals, they're going to be managed. And sure, there are things you have to do in the short term to deal with volatility, particularly once like myself, you're drawing down. And so I yeah. love the point you made about the book and cash. I don't think of cash as sort of being a foil to me being emotional and spending, rather, but that is a valid point. And I'm sure for many people, it is an incredibly important tool for that. For me, it's more like, well, I've got a couple years of cash intentionally because if I don't want to sell something because the market has taken a steep downturn, perhaps even worse than we're dealing with today, 
well, I'm not going to have to sell anything. I'm going to have cash to live on. And, and Fritz talked about this as well. Yeah. He looks he looks at it even more conservatively than I do. But two years, I, I have decided for my risk tolerance, like you mentioned, is correct. And it's going to help me have the right behavior to get through this. And I have other there's other tools in the the asset allocation that are going to help take care of longer term questions, you know, in, in longer downturns. Right. So I think while we're coming at it from different perspectives with these stories we're sharing with each other, I think in the end, the sort of tools that we're using are, you know, they're they're harmonized. Right. And they're really they're valuable for anybody irrespective of where they are, because, boy, I think about people sitting on 100 percent stock allocations, thinking about pulling the, the trigger on retiring early within the next year yeah. or two. And these stories are all over Reddit. They are. And yes. they'll throw math at you every time like, well, being 100% equity is going to win X out of 10 times for these reasons. And now, what are those people posting on Reddit? What have you seen? I mean, people are just distraught. Like, yeah, I mean, of course. but they were distraught. And, and this is generalizing. I mean, I'm not looking yeah, to of pick. of course we're generalizing. Because right. this was me a couple of months ago. So, and, and honestly, I mean, I'm still kind of a little bit hurting from, the, from that decision, but you know, these are people in general who are, were when the market was down 3% or 4% or 5%, they were like, Whoa, what's going on? And, and it's just, when I start reading some of those posts, it makes, it makes me just understand that they're, their risk profile was just, they did it wrong. You yeah. know, I mean, and ultimately, you know, there's no wrong move uh, until you sell. And if it's that's right, you lock in the loss, you lock in the loss, then that's, that's the point at which, you know, you've made your mistake. So I think as long as they can see it through great, but I, I to be honest, I was getting a little, like, I was getting a little tired of seeing those, get the markets down another 500 points today, you know? Yeah, and me too. I mean, there's a part of me and I, I was, I, I was curious to know how you felt about this because you're doing a little bit of buying in the market. You just mentioned for your HSA, but I'm doing buying in the market pretty regularly. And so I can right. still see this as an opportunity. That's right. Like, you can, I wouldn't want this as a sequence of returns risk early in my retirement like right. you, right. But, and you've planned, you've made contingencies for, for this. You've reduced your withdrawal rate and you know, you, you have enough cash buffer so that you're planning to not sell anything in a down market. But you know, I'm still close enough to this retirement date where I'm like, okay, the, the buying at a discount doesn't feel quite as good yet. Yeah. <laughs> Cause all I see is the, I feel like, and I said this to Laura last night, we're backing further away from our fine number. That's all I see. I get it. And you know, you, like you said, just a few moments ago, there are things out of your control. Yeah. You cannot change market dynamics. All you can change is your response to it. And that means the actions you take, and to some extent, the ways you think about it, because I know that you're sitting here just like I am, you know, um, thinking of this as such a small point in time versus our lifespan, right? Because we're here, yeah. you know, in our late 40s. So ho hopefully that's middle age and not past that. <laughs> but, you know, when you look at the zoom in on the uh, S&P 500 return, we know what it looks like right now. But then you zoom out. 10, 20 years or more, and it's a blip. And so that's that's one part of my mind is thinking that. But of course, as you just mentioned or referenced, the other half of it is saying, huh, 
I have uh, two years ago started withdrawing from my portfolio. And if a severe protracted downturn occurs now with high inflation, with high inflation, right? That's a nice double whammy. <laughs> that's such a bad thing relative to it happening eight to 10 years from now right. or, or farther. And, you know, for you, of course, it's just the other way around. It's is it dele potentially delaying my you know, date of ret early retirement, for yeah. example. So <clears throat> those things are a little at odds with each other. We can't change that, but it is something that's on my mind. But it also, I guess what I've been thinking about lately, and I don't think I've talked with you about this yet. I've, I've been texting you le less, to be fair, letting you catch up after your vacation. <laughs> you were good um, about that. Thank you. I have. I've tried. <laughs> is, you know, what am I going to do? Right. I mean, yeah. am I, I'm not going to do wondering. something different. I, I think it's a very different situation if it's a severe downturn and it's going on much, much longer than we're talking about. Because we're talking about months here. What if it's four years? Right. You know, it's sort of, you know, sort of nightmarish situation. Well, then there are different tools we would I could potentially bring to bear, lower my withdrawal rate, increase income right? Taking on some kind of work, things like that. I mean, I've built some pretty big buffers into my own personal model. And I know you are making a lot of the same assumptions in your own modeling, but we'll, well cross those bridges when we get to I'm it. Just, I guess that's how I look at it. Yeah. I mean, I guess it has me questioning some of those buffers personally. And okay. I think, you know, once you get in this real situation and you start questioning, then you got to reinvent the plan or you got to redesign the plan and not, not reinvent it. But, you know, I mean, Laura and I were talking about this last night and I was kind of, you know, soliciting her feedback. How are you feeling about things? She's like, you know, I, when this all started, you know, the market started correcting. I was OK with it, you know, yeah. but at the longer it goes on and the more I see, you know, unsustainable world events you know, affecting things, you start realizing that like, you know, these kind of black swan events, they, they happen with some frequency. <laughs> they're, not, they're not so yeah. like black swan. <laughs> right. And that's true. That's it's true, just, Eric. people were talking about the possibility of a worldwide pandemic. Right. I mean, it's, it wasn't like it was out of the realm of possibility, but that was not the thing that I was planning on, you know, disrupting. Sure. In, in, sure. Right. I mean, uh, did I think Russia was going to invade Ukraine? I mean, What's next? Who knows? And and yeah. it's just it all of this uncertainty builds to a certain point. I have to say, before we went away on vacation, there was there was things happening in the business. There was things happening in you know my parents' health life and our life and the world. And I just felt like, oh my god, the market's down. I'm like, the whole thing's blown up, you know. And it's it's really disconcerting. And um. I think a lot of people are feeling like this right now. So I, I don't know. Like I said, sure. it's it's good to talk it through. And it's also it good is. to be, you know, f I feel like I have a pretty good plan, but it doesn't make it easier investing every single week and just seeing it like disintegrate. I mean, I know rationally. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's not say, true. Let, I know me, that's not speak true. to that. I know it's not a challenge to what you're saying, <laughs> but it, it's a thought that I have. Right. And you and I being the age that we are. And having started in both of us starting investing in our very small way in our first 401ks in 1997 or so, right, we have been through downturns and some severe ones. Yeah. Uh, you know, the dot-com bubble, there were several corrections before eventually the global financial crisis. These, we have seen these things and we've seen what happened to the economy of Japan. 
there were a lot of that still has not recovered. That has still not recovered. Also, <laughs> a very different financial situation. I realize that than the United States, uh, which both of us are heavily invested in, in our portfolio, uh, but not exclusively. And we've seen how that turns, right? Uh, you know, I also firmly believe in the sentiment that, you know. Innovation continues strongly. Business continues to grow. There is a lot of very exciting things happening or on the verge of happening from a, just a technology advancement standpoint. I am incredibly bullish overall. And I know that just like any other human being walking around, I can get pulled down into the mire when things look grim. But honestly, I try to very consciously tell myself all the time, we don't know how many years we get. How do you want to spend them and how do you want to feel? You know, and, I, and maybe this is Lori and my wife rubbing off on me after, you know, 20 <laughs> years together. But it's like, what good's going to come from worrying about it? Right. right. Yeah. You have you're prepared. You've done as much preparation as you reasonably can. You know, we're not preppers. Right. I don't I don't have a doomsday closet. But, you know, the portfolio is set up as best as we think it can be. Yeah. If things go really bad, we're going to have to make some changes. But we've. Honestly, I feel okay. And talking through this, to your point, does help. But I think consciously reminding yourself of what you have and to the point where you started our conversation, the privileged position we're in, yeah. uh, and just you know continuing to do the things that we know to be the right things and controlling what we can, and the rest is going to happen. If you're someone who is in their 20s and you've found the FIRE movement, maybe 20s, 30s, and you're on the path... How are you feeling right now? Well, if <laughs> if you're listening to us right now, I think you should feel pretty great. Pretty great. <laughs> what exactly. a buying opportunity. And, you know, I if you go back, you know, years from now and look at your portfolio when you're buying at lower prices and this the gains when it recovers. I mean, you and I were both investing through those downturns I talked about before and I'll tell you 2008 uh, that was a time where uh, you know, I had really ramped up my savings rate. And that was something I got to benefit from. So in like fashion, those people who are much younger and not looking to retire in the next few years, this is a this is a huge win. This what a time to be investing in equities, particularly yeah. in an inflation environment to the point you made right. earlier, right? Yeah. Now is when you want to be buying into the market. Totally. And I think it's the, one of the things that helps kind of assuage my fears, I guess, is that when I'm when I'm making that buy, I think this is money for me in 30 years. Yes. Like that's, that, the right that's how way. I think about it. Because there is money in that account right now that I started investing 30 years ago. And you know, that that's a good feeling. So yeah. I, I try and lean into that. But you know, like I I mean, not to circle back to the negativity, but there I think for a lot of people, the negative feelings can compound, you know, and sure they can. when the gas, when gas is like seven bucks a gallon and, and you know, you're, you've got to put food on, on the table and things are like, things are actually more expensive. Like they are 100%. actually more expensive. And it's, it, I think that compounding of that is sometimes it's, it's hard to always have the positive lens, you know, as, and, and this is no dig on you, Jay, but like, you're no, there, I'm not you, taking it you, that way. you made it. You know, you made your phi number. Yep. And those of us on this side of phi, like we're not there yet. 
and it's hard. It's hard to feel like you're just treading water or, you know, if you're a hundred percent stock, maybe losing a lot, you know, it's just, I don't know. And maybe it's only people that are in the, in that zone where we're getting ready to transition that are really feeling the, the pain of it. Um, but yeah, it's a little people, hard. To, I mean, pe- people within a few years on either side inside. of that line that you're discussing yeah. are the ones at great at ri- greatest risk. The yeah. ones over the line are at risk for portfolio longevity, right? Especially if they're planning on a more aggressive withdrawal rate, uh, which, as you know, I am not. Uh, but if you are, then the numbers start to get a lot tighter than you had ever planned. If you're on your side, it looks like pushing the date out. Uh, neither of those are desirable situations. Yeah. You could argue one of them is more difficult to to deal with than the other, but neither of them feel very good. Yeah. I, w- I wish there was some way of, you know, when I log into Vanguard and look at my portfolio, I wish there was a way of looking at like, you know, I'm buying more shares, at a reduced cost. Right. I mean, it's yeah. like, I wish there were a way of looking at it like that, as opposed to just the, the top line figure. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there is, but maybe your solution is like, just don't look at it. I just don't look at it. <laughs> right. But even when you're buying, you got to like, what shield your eyes. No, I see it then. Right. For sure. <laughs> I mean, and I think as much as people can automate this stuff, yeah, it's going to help. And I, I know it's that there point. are differences depending on brokerage, whether you can, you know, auto invest if it's an ETF versus a mutual fund. So that may not apply to you. But, you know, the more you can automate, the better. If you can't, you just got to become, I guess, hardened to it and not let it bring you down um, because I see it. And, you know, it, it doesn't feel great. I mean, I'm not going to lie about it, but yeah. on the same note, I know, and maybe this is a good time to just sort of go back and look at your own asset allocation. Anybody who would be, you know, listening to our conversation, what is the job of each thing in there? I know for me, because I'm over the line, I'm not 100% equity, I'm right. 70%, and I've got 25% fixed income and 5% cash sitting there, and they have jobs. And if the market stays down, well, and I go through my cash, I've got fixed income I can rely on. That's its job. That job isn't returns. You hear so many people, well, especially before the downturn, you start hearing people like, oh, I don't want to hold bonds. Their return is so bad. They're not there that's to not return. F- that's right. They're there to reduce risk. And this is exactly the time when if your cash you know, reserves are getting low and you're already withdrawing, the uh, fixed income's looking pretty good. Uh, not only is it uncorrelated or poorly correlated to stocks, it's something is there for you to sell and utilize. So you don't touch. Yeah. I was going to say like, as I look at that move that I made and you know, forever, however many people panned me for doing that, it's dumb being in bonds or whatever. I look at that and I think, okay, with that very same scenario, if I got to use these, man, that's where I'm going. Yeah, that's definitely where I'm going. So you're decidedly uh, non-sexy bond fund or your treasuries. I mean, that's that's why they're there. Although I'll tell you, I had a guy tell me the other day that I was totally wrong and I should just have a lot of stable coin. Oh, and that will carry me through. Yeah. OK. The crypto. So here's that. That's a nice segue to how has crypto performed as a an uncorrelated asset? Yeah. Doesn't seem to be so uncorrelated, does it? Not so gold like, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and who knows what it, the, the history of that is, is pretty shallow. Um, but right. And it, it's even, it's very volatile as well. It's super volatile. But I, I thought that that's been an interesting case study and I'm personally glad I didn't have more thrown, thrown into that asset at this particular time, given how wild it's been. Um, but that's, that's been something that's kind of interesting to watch. 
It has, and you know, and I, I, my position is unchanged, irrespective of its yes. current performance. It's a very interesting uh, concept, but it's a speculative investment, and or it's a spec. It's just speculative. I, I had in investing is a word that seems scary to use, right? And sometimes gambling seems the better word. Sometimes it seems overly pejorative. But I think crypto is very interesting. You and I both hold a small amount, but it is not something sizable. And it's certainly not something that I would try to say is a, you know, is synonymous with fixed income. I think yeah. that's a, a bit of a crazy worldview, honestly. Let me ask you this. Have there, have you taken advantage of the market drop in any way? Have you done any loss harvesting or any gain harvesting? I did. Uh, actually, I wanted to a couple of things. I did a little bit of tax loss harvesting. I also had some positions I wanted to get out of. Yep. And they had some gains in them. And when they dropped, that was time to move out and move into the things I wanted to be in. And so that was honestly very convenient yeah. because I had some things that were kind of higher fee quasi fixed income okay. and I backed out of those and moved into treasuries and into a total bond fund. So you looked at this as an opportunity, like was that something that some, your financial advisor pointed out to you or was that something just that you said, oh, I think this would make sense. It's something that had already been pointed out to me as, hey, you should really consider this, you know, the impact of fees and some of the things we've talked about before, but the timing of it was something as the market started to turn down, I said, well, I'm just going to hold out a couple more weeks here. I don't really see a downside to that. And then when it really started to drop, I said, well, now's the time. So, you yeah. know, one could argue a little bit of market timing there, but on the scale of a few weeks. So not something I feel bad about. I mean, I'm still pretty darn against market timing. Um, but I think that's more, I think you just call that a little bit of a more of an opportunistic yeah, yeah. Uh, event. I mean, I've done, you? I've done some loss harvesting for sure. And, um, it's been nice because that that's the kind of thing I, you know, as I think about this situation, things I can control and things I can't control, I can't control what the market does, but if there's an opportunity to take advantage of what the market is doing, I can control that. And so For sure. do, making those little actions actually helps me feel better about it. You know, yeah. it, it, even things like reading about it, you know, reading about market trends or, you know, looking at, various points in history where I remember the Gulf War. Like, what did the stock market look like then? Because I remember that being a very, that was a pivotal time in my life. I was just heading into college and, yep. you know, it's, they were talking about drafting, you know, people. And I was like, and I think, how crazy did that time seem? And what was the stock market doing at that time? And, you know, just like looking at those points in history and saying, you know, it's no fun going through you know, riding through the snowstorm here. Uh, but when you get to the other side and you're on clear roads, you can look back and say, okay, you know, like you can kind of rationalize the position and understand how it felt in the moment and then understand that you actually are moving through it to the other side. So I, I find those, those little movements. And I mean, the lost harvesting that I've, that I've done is like it's nothing huge, right? It's, it's just, you're pulling off from market peaks, last year. That's all I can really do because I'm all in really was all in index funds. Um, but it's definitely an opportunity for people, I think, to take advantage of. 100%. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Any changes that you're making in your personal life? One of the things that Laura and I talked about in terms of ordering our FI life is that, you know, we want to sail through this relatively unchanged. Don't want to be having to cancel vacations if we don't yeah. have to, you know, want to maintain the quality of life that we had planned on. Uh, is that true for you? 
Um, yeah, we definitely don't want to make changes, and our portfolio withdrawal rate is already set up pretty low. It's below 3%, I think tracking to about 2.8% right now. And so we feel like we don't need to do anything further right now. And I'm still, you know, keeping an eye on expenses to make sure that nothing drifts in a direction we don't want it to. But I'm feeling pretty good about keeping the draw where it is right now. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're making some part of this is based on feedback that I got from you. Like our grocery bill got super out of control. And so, it, yeah, yeah. To the point where I, I told you what I spent a week on groceries and you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> and I don't have teenage boys. So I, you know, I don't know what that uh, is like, but uh, yeah, your bill is a lot higher than mine. Yeah. And so we, we actually just, uh, when we came back from vacation where we started looking at the whole budget and, you know, like what we're actually spending on things and going, I mean, energy costs, I don't know, you just put solar panels on your house. So you're pretty happy with that. You were probably impacted by energy costs, but I like, you know, I heat the studio with electricity and from a heat pump. And the last bill I got, I thought, oh my God, like does solar make sense? Even here at like my latitude, which is (laughs) We don't yeah. get a lot of sun here, man, but I'm starting to think about <laughs> right. it like because energy is more expensive. So, I, you know, we're starting to look at just I don't know, maybe it's just becoming a better consumer overall and just being more thoughtful with how we spend what we have. And I don't know, I feel like that's a function of where we're at right now. Like everything just feels like it costs more. And so what can we do to maybe hold on to more of what we earn? Well, it sounds like a positive thing for me. I mean, to me, to me it fits in that bucket of making sure the money we're spending are is on the things that are going to bring the greatest value. Yeah. And so because, you know, well, the one thing that we found that Lori and I found when we started because we were not budgeters, even though I come across right. like I'm a longtime budgeter now, two years before I stopped working, I was not yet a budgeter. But as soon as we started to look at the expenses more granularly to start to re- refine our fine number, we realized there were things in there that had just kind of, you know, ballooned over time and they were easy to cut back in favor of things that were priorities. And so like you, travel is a priority for us. And yes, we haven't been able to do it you know, as much as we wanted the last two years, but we plan to do it long-term. And so we just started kind of moving money around and that felt good to me to be really deliberate about spending. Because yes. it doesn't feel like, you know, it's not overly lean or we're, you know, cutting costs in a way that doesn't kind of fit our worldview. It's more just reallocating. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, if I go back to the grocery bill for us, like protein was like know, a big expense in our house, you know, like we eat a lot of meat and, you know, learn th- rethinking that and trying to think about it maybe in a more sustainable way, a way that's more healthy for us, too. Um, All right. It's a good. Yeah. I, it's not my natural inclination. I'm no, going to be gonna honest. No, I'm going to teach you a 100% vegetarian diet when you're here. <laughs> oh, God, I, so I shouldn't have mentioned that. Vegetables you're going to have when we're here. I didn't say I was eating vegetables, man. <laughs> You're I'm just, just eating, eating loaves of bread, less meat, peanuts, <laughs> lots peanuts, of peanuts, potatoes, and loaves of bread. <laughs> Jesus. Hey, Costco peanut butter is a pretty good value. You could just have that. It would cost me more in gas to get to Costco, man. Remember, yeah. I live on an island. Again, these are, I mean, it's never, I've never been the type of person to, you know, holier than thou uh, about driving an electric car. But these are times where, from a budget perspective, it feels pretty good to have an electric car and have solar. Except, yeah, I was going to say, when you got to plug it in at your house and you're, uh, 
I, I don't even want to talk about electricity costs here because it's just complaining about things I can't change. But yeah, hey, man, I'm in the land of highest, elect, you know, among the highest electric costs in the For country. For sure. Bro. Yeah, yeah. And the highest gas prices. My county, by the way, is currently the highest gas prices in the country. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, at least you can sell back to the grid, can't you? You can, but you sell back at a wholesale rate. Well, sure. But I mean, of course you would. But yeah. like, you can't even do that here. No, no, I know. And they're, they're looking to change all that in California. It's one of the reasons that we got solar when we did. From a savings standpoint, if everything costs more and you can't yeah. invest as much, you know, you're not saving as much as you used to. That's a big, that's a big potential impact on your FI schedule. Yes. And that is, that's a big difference between something you have to think about and I have to think about. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're I, we, Laura and I were talking last night, like, all right, well, maybe it makes sense to just work all the way through 2024, you know, like we were going to, we were going to stop in on June and, and maybe that's not going to happen anymore. So I don't know. We're starting to think about those contingencies equally. We're like, well, maybe we just spend the next couple of years buying into a like downturn. And this isn't to make your life more awful, but like if this is like not bad timing for that to happen, like it's Cape ratio starts coming down a little bit with the valuations tick down. Like I'm okay with that, you know, um, sure. not for your sake, but for our own. Um, <laughs> but I don't know what that's going to feel like buying two years into a market. That's like just flat. Ooh, that's pretty scary. Who knows? <laughs> that's not going to give me confidence in, in retiring in 2024. I'll tell you that. I guess one of the ways I think about this and, you know, people have different views on this. It's something I could easily get a ton of comments on is you say, oh, everything's unprecedented times. Well, I mean, no 20 or 30 or whatever year period is like the previous one. They're, they're all different. There's always things happening for the first time. And yet it has largely worked out. So unless we blow each other off the surface of this planet, I think things are going to work out pretty well. Uh, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be churn that could impact things like one's intended retirement date or, you know, cause, you know, have return, you know, returns to be down substantially in the first few years following early retirement, such that you may have to make adjustments in withdrawal or, or in some other way. I can't predict that, but I think the best guidance is we just manage things as they come. You, you can't prepare for everything. Uh, if you could, you you know, that would mean that you're so wealthy that it simply doesn't <laughs> matter what's happening in the world. And that's very few people out there. And they're certainly not watching this show. Uh, but for you and I, those things can have impact and, and people who are considering a fire path and we just have to manage them as they come and, yeah, I mean, and, and accept the emotional aspect of this as human beings that it's going to be upsetting and it could have us make irrational decisions. And so the best we can do is just to acknowledge that and prepare ourselves so that we don't make them. There's, there's one concept that came up in the psychology of money book that I thought was useful and, and, and where he talks about fees versus fines. Okay. So, you know, a fee is something you pay for the privilege of doing something, you know, fishing license, fishing trip could be, you know, any, any number of things, right? You pay a fee, you get a certain thing in return and a fine is obviously a viewed as a penalty, right? You're speeding, you pay a fine for doing that and it's something you get nothing in return yep. for. And part of riding in the stock market and exposing yourself to the risk there is you are you can look at it as paying a fee, you know? And the result is you get a much higher return in the end. So we're paying a fee right now 
with all of this tumult and, you know, the ups and downs of the market here. And it's, it can be hard to ride that. Um, but I don't think of it actually as a fine. I I'm okay with thinking of it as a fee because I know on the other side, like you said, we're going to come out ahead, but man, (laughs) emotionally it can, it can get to be a little bit of a grind. This is helpful talking about it with you. And I, I know probably, not everyone has that ability to talk with someone in, in their family. Um, but I, I do find having that kind of pressure relief valve is useful because it, it does actually, there is a therapeutic aspect to this that, that keeps you from making the, making the wrong decisions, certainly making the emotional decisions when emotions are high. Wait, one last thought, Jay, um, just that, that concept of having enough. Like Mm. just, just knowing that, you know, we're working towards something that not very many people are. That's right. Just the idea, the idea that you're in this, in this movement, you're doing something that most people are not willing to do. And like Laura was saying to me, she's like, you know, we're, we're, we're saving at a rate that, that most people would never even contemplate. I mean, if you look at the, the average savings of the average American, it's, it's ridiculously low. Right. Yeah. And, it's very low. And we have the privilege not to li- have to live paycheck to paycheck and be able to save. And, you know, so all of these worries, they feel a little bit, uh, I don't know. They feel a little bit inconsequential when you zoom out and look at the, you know, the, the other things that are happening in the world and, and just right. understanding right. that it's, it is enough to be able to go to the grocery store and buy food for your family. Like we can do that. That's not That's a problem. Right. That's right. <laughs> and fill our cars up with gas and, you know, all of the things you and I talk. Go home know. without getting shelled on your way, yeah. you know. Uh, you know, and um, if this happens to derail the, the FI plan by a couple of months or a couple of years, so be it. You know, it's um, it just to be content with the life that you're living now, it can be a difficult thing to do. And, um, I think the thing I've taken away from this and this conversation, maybe the past month or so is just that, um, it's okay to be content with your position, even if you're not quote unquote winning. (laughs) Right. I I think that's incredibly well put. And, you know, we all benefited or many people who would be listening to this conversation and and us included benefited a lot from the last 10 plus years of market performance, uh, really just tremendous performance and what a time to be in the market and be able to invest money and choose to do so. Um, and it's like I say, eight out of 10 years, it's going to be positive. It's not always going to be that rate of return for sure, but you know, there's going to be years where it turns down and we just have to remember that and continue to make good decisions. And to your point, be content with the life we have and, and find joy in the things that we, we get pleasure from and, uh, you know, control the things we can and the rest, we just have to, we have to deal with. I'm going to tune out from media too, because the, the media, like that media machine is just so built on making you panic and it really works. (laughs) Well, it turns out when you financially incentivize the, um, eyes on screens or on papers or whatever they are, this is the outcome you get. And so I I, I thankfully realized that a long time ago. For me, it's very important to tune out of it. Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Fi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com.